from verse 12 to the end of the chapter 1 would be the, one of the most significant sermons that I could prepare and you could listen to. This will sustain you for many years that we cannot predict. And I am very, very thankful to God for what God has given us to us, to, to the Church of Christ, but also what He is showing me. And in turn, I pray that this would be a blessing to you. So I'm going to read three verses again. For those of you who are visiting us, the context is that Paul is in prison and he is writing to a church that he planted about 10 years ago at that time. And he's giving a report back to that church because that church has been sponsoring Paul with prayer and with money and sending people. But we find in these few verses his own reflections while he is in prison. And past few years has has taught us that we could be bound by our circumstances. But let's see. From his own experience and to us as God's word, how Paul survived, not only survived, but thrived in that prison. So three verses, chapter 1, verse 12 and following. Now I want you to know, brothers, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. First reason, so that my chains in Christ have become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. That's the first reason. The second evidence is this, verse 14, and that most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord because of my chains, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. That's right. In verse 12, he just gave that report. Probably Philippian church was expecting for him to say, I am in the prison, I am tired and sick, and I need your help. Instead, what they are hearing from Paul is that there is actually the greater progress of the gospel. And, and people might have scratched their heads and what do you mean? And first reason we talked about last Sunday is that the reason why I am in prison, that reason has become well known throughout the prison guard and to everyone else. So he's spreading the gospel inside of that imperial guard prison. So he's not staying quiet. And everyone, just like Joseph, wherever Joseph was, God was with him. God blessed him. So people knew God was with him because of the blessing. Likewise, here Paul, he's not staying quiet. So if you are chained or if you are guarding Paul, chances are that you will hear something about Christ from Paul. His conduct probably impressed many of the guards. So that's 13, what he has done in the prison. That's last week. 
Verse 14 is something that probably Paul couldn't even imagine. So this comes as a bonus. Paul will stay as Paul. No matter where he is, he will be preaching, sharing. But verse, verse 14 comes to the church of Philippi, Philippi as a surprise, and even to Paul himself, surprising effect of him being in the prison. That is, many of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord because of my chains, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. So Paul is locked up in the prison. And we thought, oh, it's over. Church has stopped. Missions, evangelism, they have stopped because that famous Paul is in the prison. But what God does is, God inspires people outside of the prison, brothers, and then they are going to go out and preach the gospel. So in that way, unexpectedly, these many brethren, brothers and sisters, they will go out and, and preach the gospel. So what Paul couldn't do by himself, now God is unleashing whole army of Christians to expand his kingdom. So in two ways, he says, there is that greater progress of the gospel. Inside of prison, I am sharing the gospel. Outside of prison, I couldn't do it. I couldn't imagine this was going to happen, but by God's grace, so many people are going out and sharing so that is what is happening. The greater progress of the gospel. Two evidences that he just shared. Now let me make first point. If you are a serious Christian, your struggle lies in doubting. Not doubting God. I don't think many of us will doubt God's existence. Some of you may, but most of us, that's not, that's not our problem. We believe in Him. But what's your weakness? What's our weakness? We doubt not God's existence, but His wisdom. Why is this happening to me? His goodness. How can you let this happen to me? And His justice. How can you let the wicked prosper? So our problem is not doubting God's existence. We are convinced of it. But we oftentimes, we doubt His wisdom, His goodness, and His justice. And we are always asking, what are you up to? What are you doing? That, if you're not doing that, God bless you. But if you could be honest, we struggle with that often. For example, as soon as I was put into that solo pastor position in this church, what happened? Immediately, 
By March, pandemic has started. So I'm thinking like this. OPC is already hard. <laughs> and you add, see, we ask that question, why? Why at this time? Why that? Paul had every reason to doubt God in that fashion. If there isn't one person in the New Testament who could actually question God's wisdom, goodness, justice, would be Paul. Even us, we are looking at the text, he's in the prison, and we are thinking, why? Why would you put Paul in the prison? What are we asking? What are we questioning? We are questioning God's wisdom. If Phil Jackson benched Michael Jordan all the time, what are you saying? You are saying to Phil Jackson, I'm not questioning your wisdom, I am questioning your sanity. And by saying that, what we are saying to Phil Jackson is, you have just disqualified yourself to be a coach. So when we follow this reasoning, we conclude, I know better than God. I can't do better than God. I doubt your motive, your wisdom, your love, so ultimate conclusion is that I dismiss you. Consequence is the same. Whether I have tried so hard to follow the rules and go to church, everything, I suffer. So I don't see any reason, no difference, point of living this holy life, obedient life, and ultimately, what happens to you is that you dismiss God in your life, even though you are here, end up saying, how dare you? That's the last one. I was thinking about this. And I recalled a conversation between two parties. And someone said to someone this, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Somebody said that to somebody. Has God said? Other translation, did God really say, actually say? That's not a question. That's an accusation. In the form of a question. Has God said? What the serpent is saying to Eve is that that God Told you not to eat anything from the tree of garden, this garden. What you are accusing of God is if God loves you, how can God withhold something that is so precious from you? How dare God? How dare you could you could do that to me? So so Satan is already accusing God of his integrity, goodness, especially his love for Adam and Eve. If you fast forward a few chapters in the Bible, in Joshua chapter 6, the second generation people, they go through several uh, tests from God. First generation perished. Second generation 
They are now entering into their promised land. And in chapter 6, there stands a mighty fortress of that pagan nation, Jericho. If you haven't read that section, do you know what God says to Joshua? Joshua is not simply a religious leader. He's a military leader. Since he was young, he fought for Moses. And God said to Joshua, listen to this. God didn't say to the 600,000 people. God said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with his king and the warriors. You shall march around the city, all the men of war circling the city once. You shall do so for six days. Once, circling once per day, for six days. Then on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priest shall blow the trumpets. Then when you hear the long sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. If you are one of the generals in that group, God spoke to Joshua. Joshua comes around and he he says to the people or the generals, leaders of the clans, what are they asking? Did God really say that? Just go around and shout? We think, oh, they're Old Testament people. They didn't know better, so they just did that. You think out of all the men, Nobody asked the question. Are you seriously? You walk around seven times and shout, it's going to fall down. So here we learn something. God wants obedience, yes, but not a mechanical one. Blind obedience. But what God wants is trust. So when the doubt arises in our hearts, calling God's wisdom, goodness, justice, and love into question, you must fight that doubt, and you have to kill it off with trust. Not simply with faith. Yes, faith. But also with trust. Paul was in prison But he trusted God not by positive thinking or religious devotion, but as I've said last Sunday, that he trusted God because he was in Christ. He's looking at his chains, whichever way, however he was tied to. He's looking at the chains. What will most people will do in that situation? If you are tied to the wall, you are looking at the chain. If you're Paul, if you're someone in that situation, Christian, in the prison, what are you doing? I think most of the people will do this. You look at the chain, and with the chain, you are interpreting God. You look at the chain, and because of chain, you see God through the lens of chain. 
and you make that decision or conclusion about God, His character, His actions towards you, in light of that evidence of change. What Paul is doing is he's reversing that because he's in chains in Christ, my chains in Christ, in Christ, in union with Christ theology. What he is doing is he is interpreting the chain through the gospel. We do the reverse. When something happens, when COVID happened, we look at that situation and we question God's motive. We question God's goodness, justice, love toward how, if you love us. How come that, I'm just an example, that happened at this point? But what Paul said last week was, My chains in Christ. So in Christ's reality interprets his circumstances. He's not doing that. Looking at the chain, how can you do that to me? That's most people. Paul He looks at the chain, it's but a reminder of who he is in Christ. That's why he was able to overcome that circumstance. And this, I don't think, is confined only to the evangelists, church people, church religious works. Whatever you are, whoever you are, in your situation, we all feel trapped from time to time. In your job, family, whatever situation, relationships, you are just in the prison. And what do we do again? We look at the condition and you conclude what kind of God He is, depending on the situation. But as you know, that's not the way you should do the theology. So I'll ask you to do three things. That is, you have to settle the question of God's love towards you, first of all, in the Bible. You don't conclude who God is, what He's like towards you by looking at the case after case, depending on the markings that you give. There's a graph that you go and this was the high mark, this is low mark, so it goes like this. So depending on where you are in that graph, you will conclude His love toward me will increase, decrease, increase, decrease. So you got, we, we have to settle that question. So you must settle that, not by looking at the circumstance, but from the Bible. You look in the Bible, in the Word of God, and you settle the question of God's character, who He is, in the Bible. Second, you have to do it once and for all. Third, you must never look back. I think that's the key. I am not saying if you are a young Christian, not age-wise, but you are a new Christian, there should be a time for you to question. I do not like when people say, just believe. doesn't matter, just believe. Don't question, just believe. It has never been the spirit of reformation. Never. We'll say, go to the Word. But when you progress in your life, I think, without being harsh, we need to move beyond that. We need, to, we need to grow beyond that. We cannot constantly look at the circumstance and look at God and ask, what are you doing? It will never stop. You will never grow. 
Your actions toward God and neighbors will never have power. Because deep inside, you are still doubting. Once again, not existence, but all of that that I've mentioned. So you settle that. I'm speaking to all of you, including myself. You ponder upon that question. You settle it with the Word of God. And you're going to put that into, the, into a can. And you go to deep water and drop it into the deep side of the ocean. You don't take it out every time and open it and see if God is there. If God loves me, how can you? We need to say, stop. It's enough. I need to grow up. I need to grow in Christ. How pitiful would it be if Paul in prison doing the same thing? No. He has settled it. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways higher than our ways. Infinitely more so. So we trust. We need to settle that question. Second point is this. LSB, which is based upon NASB that I have given you, and ESV, they are the three translations that translate like that regarding in the Lord. Most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord because of my chains. Rest, CSB, King James, New King James, NIV, they translate in this way. Many of the brothers in the Lord so confidence in the Lord versus brothers in the Lord. Depending on the translation, you can make different point. But what's happening here is that uh, many brothers are going out to share the gospel. Why? Because they have some kind of confidence and courage. And what inspired them? Wording itself is not as clear because Paul refrains from speaking about himself. But let me quote you a, 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 a someone, commentator. What does that mean? Having confidence in the Lord or brothers in the Lord, having been confident in my chains. The real source of inspiration was Paul's fearless witness to Christ while in chains. Fearless Paul before and after his imprisonment inspired others so that while he is in chains, the gospel is now being proclaimed by so many others. Calvin says it in this way. When, however, we see at the same time the hand of the Lord, which makes his people unconquerable under the infirmity of the cross and causes them to triumph. So Polish being, he, he is triumphing over the circumstances. Relying upon this, we ought to venture farther than we had been accustomed, having now a pledge of our victory in the persons of our brethren. What Calvin is saying is this. If I was timid, and if I see Paul, what he's doing in the prison, Christ's victory is already pledged by the actions of Paul, 
So I should have more courage to go one step farther than what I used to, whatever my comfort zone allows me to go. Why? Because that, that person is carrying on, and we see Christ's victory, victory through that person. It inspires me. It encourages me. It gives me that, that extra uh, courage to do. Wow, I wish I could do that. I look at Paul's life, fearless Paul. I want to become like him. So the second point would be, we should pray and live our lives in such a way that we could be the source of inspiration for others. As we see, you are a one man, one person. You try, but you cannot do everything. You could call this multiplication, discipleship, whatever you want to say. But if your life becomes an inspiration to other people, without you telling them to what to do, they will do what you've been doing for Christ. The third and final point that I want to make is this. Toward the end of that verse, verse 14, what happened to the many of the brothers, not the most of the brothers, but many, was that they have more courage, right? Because of what they saw in Paul. But, but that courage gave, him, gave them that commission to fulfill. What was that? Courage to speak the word of God without fear. So going back to verse 12, the greater progress of the gospel is tied to this group of men now encouraged who are doing what? Who are speaking actually the Greek text as the word. Not word of God. I just don't like that. That's NASB and LSB. Bring the word. But, but let me say another one. Another, another word here. You see in the text it says speak. So when you look it up, there are different kinds of Greek words that we are familiar with. For example, I say unto you. Then the Greek word would be lego. I say with emphasis. I say. I say unto you. Teach. Probably you have heard. Didaskalo. I teach. Discipleship. Preach. Keruso. You proclaim and herald. Or famous word, evangelize. So those are the familiar words that you expect Paul to say. But it was a very unusual word. It was basically, it's not used a lot. It's laleo. But that word is, I would say, the lowest denomination, if you could say that, of that kind of words. Not usual word. It has no religious overtone. Like evangelize or preach. Or you teach. They all have that. It's good words. They are they're good words. They, they, they say something about Christian life, church, discipleship. But the word that Paul used was. Laleo basically means make a sound. You could translate I speak. But only a few times. So what I am saying. I think it's fair for me to conclude and say this. What Paul wants to say to the Philippians. They are the sponsoring church. This is somewhat a, a missions report. 
Paul does not want to communicate because of my imprisonment. These men, these brethren, became so jealous for the work of Christ, and now they just went to preach the gospel or discipleship. I think what he is saying is more rather humble, normal, modest change. What these people are doing is they were scared, but now they have more courage, but they are not standing up in a corner and preaching. They are not opening up a Bible and start teaching hundreds of people, seminars and so on. But what they are doing, these men, whatever they they got the inspiration from me, what he's saying is they are simply talking about Jesus. Not some kind of, I want to be a preacher, teacher, missionary. I think it's a great point. Whatever the circumstance that God has placed you in, That's the domain of your influence, and that's the mission field. And the point of that verse could be that you have a conversation. You talk. La leo. They're not speaking the word of God, but to speak the word, obviously the implication is the word of God. But it is much more humble project here, what people are doing. That does not scare away You, Christians, we all need them. We try, but we could always use extra courage. It always takes courage to speak the word. Why is that? Because it's foolishness to the world that is perishing. So we are scared about our reputation, what people may think about me, my intellectual power, status. We have something to lose. I understand these days it's sometimes illegal to speak these things in certain circumstances, but you could be wise in communicating something about Christ. So that's, that's what's happening. My title, I got it from that hymn, Ponder on you what the Almighty will do. We are weak. But God is strong. But if a church is full of people who do not doubt God, God's goodness, love, and justice, if we live in such a way that people will be inspired by your courage, your dedication, your sacrifice, your manner of conduct, so many offspring, spiritual offspring, will arise and they will go in the, the next generation work of evangelism. And if we make it our aim to speak, not to preach, not to evangelize, but to talk about Christ simply, make a, a sound about Christ, what can Almighty do with that kind of church is the, is the, is the question. Ponder anew. If you could become that, if I could become that, if we as a church, we could become all of that that we talked about. Ponder anew what the Almighty will do through that kind of church and through that Christian. 
He will do amazing things for his honor and his glory. Let's pray.